Our scripture reading today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you in worship this morning. So glad to have you with us here at ECC. My name is Josiah. I'm our college minister here at the church. If you're new here, so glad that you're with us. Uh, Bob, our senior pastor, is in Pakistan for the next two weeks serving with some of our missionaries here at the church. And so as we start, I want to pray for Bob and his time in Pakistan and also just pray for us as we dig into God's word together. So would you join me? Father, we know that you are here with us and what a privilege it is to be in your house as a family together here and to lift up praises to your name. We thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us in scripture. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to study Paul's letter to the Philippians today, and we just pray that you would communicate your words of truth to our hearts. Would your spirit be in this place? Would you impact us, that we would be changed and live as people of faith as a result of this time? We pray also for Bob as he's across the globe. We thank you for the ways that you've gifted him, Father, to serve you with a sharp mind and a heart that's eager to serve you and to help others know the grace and truth that's in Jesus Christ. So we ask that you would cause his time over there to flourish and be effective. Would you meet him where he's at right now, that he would know your presence with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in a series on prayer here at ECC. Uh, We're in week number three right now, and so this morning I'm going to talk about prayer as a way to rest. But we need to start off with a little bit of a quiz, so I hope you're awake, all right? The way it's going to work is there are two slides And each slide is going to have four questions on it. And so you're going to work from top to bottom. It's very straightforward. But I need you to give your best effort because this is for a reason, okay? Any questions? No? Great. Glad to hear it. You guys are going to do awesome. So let's get ready. Three, two, one. All right, done. Who made it through every question? Made it through every question. Nice. Now, if our congregation is consistent with research, the majority of you read that last question and immediately thought to yourself, red hammer. As a matter of fact, if statistics are correct, 98% of you had an answer that either included red or hammer. Raise your hand if that's you. Oh, wow. I love it. Great job. So, psychologist and author Daniel Kahneman uses this questionnaire to illustrate how our brains work with two different systems. System one is instinctive and emotional, it's fast acting. And system two is more deliberative and logical. And so in this questionnaire, the math questions in the first part, they wear down our system two, and then when we're led to make a decision very quickly, Think of a color. Think of a tool. System one is crunch for time, and red is a bold and bright color. A hammer is one of the most common tools, and so here we end up. Red hammer. I'm a red hammer person, too. 
I'm not afraid to admit it. I guess I'm not as unique as I thought I was. Isn't it interesting to see how our minds are so similar? I'm no psychologist. Don't let me fool you. But I think I do know enough about us as human beings to predict something else that's true about each and every one of us. I'll bet that this morning, at some point already today, maybe just for an instant, a worry came to your mind. When that thought came to your mind, you just felt a sense of anxiety wash over you. Maybe your shoulders just raised, the hair on the back of your neck. You felt some anxiety. I won't make you raise a hand for that one, but I'll bet we have just as many people in here who have had some sort of worry that they've wrestled with today as we have red hammers. And I'll be honest, I am one of those people. In fact, I don't know that I have lived a single day of my life where I did not worry about something. Some days those worries seem pretty trivial. At least one day a week, I usually worry on my way to work that I left the garage door open. I hear some laughs because you do it too. Sometimes I turn around, I go home and I check, and you know, the garage door's down, it's fine. That doesn't stop me from worrying about it. Other days, my worries are a little more serious. I mean, I can worry about big life decisions. I can worry about the health and well-being of people that I love. We all have worries. So the passage that you just heard read is where we're going to focus this morning. It talks about prayer as a way that God can give us rest from our worries. He can transform our hearts and minds when we come to him with the burdens on our hearts. And so it's part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Here's what you need to know about this letter. Philippi was a Roman colony in Greece. And so Paul had a real affinity for these people. He felt a special bond with them because Paul, not only were these people sharing a common faith with him, but they also shared citizenship. And so these were Paul's people. He's writing to them with a real sense of care. And the first reason he wrote to them was to thank them for their support. This was a thank you letter. I don't know about you, but I often put off writing thank you notes to the last possible moment, much longer than I should. I tell myself, I live a full and busy life. When I finally get a chance to relax, I want to relax. Those thank you notes, I'll get to those this weekend. And then I get to the weekend and I'm like, oh, thank God, it's my chance to relax. I'll get to those thank you notes next weekend. Six weeks later, still haven't written a single one. Paul had zero excuses if he was tardy in writing this thank you letter. Here's why. He was writing from Rome, where he was a prisoner of the emperor. He was living under house arrest for causing a disturbance throughout the Roman Empire by preaching the gospel. But it was a unique imprisonment that he was under. Paul was living in a house that he rented in that city, and he was free to talk about his faith with whoever came to visit. But there was a catch. Paul could not leave this house. He was under guard by Roman officials from Caesar's palace, not the casino, the actual Caesar's palace. Paul could not leave this place for two whole years. Can you imagine being cooped up in your house for two years? I don't care how nice your house is or how many episodes of Netflix you have. That sounds horrible. It would have been better than prison, of course. I'd rather be in my own home for two years straight than a prison cell. But that surely had to have been a boring and lonely time for Paul. And so the Philippians, Paul wrote to thank them because they sent him a financial gift to sustain him in his imprisonment. 
and also to thank them because they delivered that gift to him through a man named Epaphroditus who came and hung out, spent some time with Paul to keep him company in his imprisonment. And Paul was so thankful for those two gifts. Epaphroditus' company meant so much more to him. And so he wrote to thank them for those gifts, but even more to thank them for the presence of that friend. Paul also wrote to encourage them to ground themselves in the gospel, the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. These folks were walking through some challenges. They were dealing with persecution for their faith. They were being presented with false teaching, and they needed to be encouraged. Think about how you receive encouragement when you're walking through a difficult time. I know that when someone understands where I'm at, their words mean a whole lot more to me. If someone has been there, or at least has some sense of understanding of the problem that I'm walking through, and they give me a word of encouragement, it just means more. It means a lot more. And so when Paul wrote to encourage the Philippians, his words had real credibility, because they knew his situation. Paul was honest in his letter that life in Rome was no barrel of laughs. But he was also clear that his faith in Christ kept him engaged in life and looking forward with hope in the midst of the challenges that he was walking through. And here's why. Because Paul believed that God was directing his life. He knew that God was setting his path and that gave him a deep sense of purpose in the midst of that difficulty. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's some perspective. Paul believed that God was directing his path, and so he saw his imprisonment as an opportunity rather than a curse. He saw that God had opened a door for him to proclaim the good news with people he would never be able to get in front of without his life playing out just the way it had. And so think about that reality in our own lives. God uses situations that we would not choose to put ourselves in with frustrating co-workers, with crazy roommates, with interesting neighbors, even under house arrest in Paul's situation so that we can make him known in the way that we show how God's grace holds up when we're under pressure, in the words that we speak to others in those times, we can point them to Christ. And so it's clear in Paul's letter to the Philippians that the good news of God's grace for broken people like you and I was truth that filled him with passion and it gave him purpose. He was committed to preserving the good news and passing it on, making the most of every opportunity that God put in front of him. And so he encouraged the Philippians to do the same. Jesus has won the victory over sin and death, and that news matters. It makes a difference no matter what we're faced with. So that's the foundation for the passage we just read. Here's Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Hear it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all 
the Lord is near. He's telling them, in the midst of the challenges you're going through, don't take the reality that is now yours because of the gospel for granted. He knew the Philippians were walking through some tough stuff. He knew it would be easy for them to dwell on all that they wished was different in their lives. They would so easily be focused on all that was wrong, but he told them instead, rejoice in the Lord always. Lift your eyes, shift your focus from what's wrong to the ways in which God has blessed you in Jesus Christ. That's an eternal blessing. It's not dependent on our circumstances, which are ever-changing. And so maybe that advice, rejoice in the Lord always, maybe it just feels a little bit too simple. Can such a a simple change in our mindset really give us what we need in walking through those difficult times? How can that be? Paul says that comes through remembering that God himself is nearby. No matter what we walk through, the Lord is near. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, has come and he's shown us the, the way to the Father in his teaching. But so much more than that, he's made a way for us to the Father. We who trust him in faith receive restoration to God himself, life with him forever, and him with us by our side is our own friend who cares and is ready to meet us with grace and compassion no matter what we walk through. Rejoice in the Lord always. Shift your focus from all that's wrong and remember how deeply blessed you are in Christ. We can be full of joy in any and every situation because we know that he will never leave us and our future is secure. But how about those times that we just can't see how God is going to bring us through? How about those times when we worry? When the unknown feels overwhelming? What does Paul say about that? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do you know where worry comes from? Psychologists believe that worry comes about in the process of thinking about the future, attempting to solve problems related to future situations and events. And that runs smoothly for us most of the time. But when an element of unknown comes into the equation, when we can't solve a problem, when we can't predict what's going to happen or control the future, we become anxious. Our solutions feel insufficient. We're aware of the reality that life is out of our control. And we desperately want that to change. But we feel powerless to make it happen. We're trapped. So we worry. Paul gives us some insight for dealing with our worries. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And when I read that statement in isolation, I think, hmm, that is not very helpful advice. (laughs) I mean, I read a study in preparing for this message that confirmed what John said earlier and what every married person or parent in here knows all too well from experience. Telling someone to stop feeling a particular emotion, whether that's worry or fear or excitement, it's horribly ineffective. When you tell someone, hey, stop feeling that emotion, all it does is fixate us on exactly what we're feeling. It's horribly ineffective advice. 
But man, we've all told someone, hey, don't worry. We've all been there. We've all said that. It doesn't do the trick. Thankfully, that's not all Paul's advice entails. He says, do not worry about anything. And then he tells us how we can counter our worry. He says, do not be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We can counter our worries with prayer whenever we feel anxious. It's in prayer that we have the ability to share our thoughts and our emotions with the God of the universe who already knows us completely. He has perfect knowledge. He's all-powerful. But let's all remember, the Lord is near. This is also the God who's under, who understands us. He's full of compassion for us. And he's powerful to change things. And this passage tells us that includes us. God's powerful to change our own hearts and minds if we'll simply come to him and ask for help. And so Paul tells us, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because God has come to us with grace. If we'll simply trust him, we can come to him and be open about our own need, present him our requests in prayer. We can hand him our burdens and he'll give us back rest. We can take those anxious thoughts just bouncing around in our heads, distracting us, leaving us unsettled. We can hand them to him and he'll give us rest. We can trust him with our anxieties. That's the promise of scripture. So do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? I do believe it, I want to tell you. But in full honesty, I don't always come to God with the worries that weigh me down. I'll bet many of you relate. What is it that keeps us from coming to God with our worries? Is it unbelief in his promises? Is it doubt that he actually hears us? Is it doubt that he cares? That he'll respond? Do we fail to pray because we're just spiritually lazy? For me, I think what keeps me from coming to God with my anxieties most often is my own desire to be self-sufficient. Boy, I love to rely on myself. I like to think that I can handle whatever comes my way and solve my own problems until I can't. And I'm faced with the fact that life is out of my control. And then I drive myself nuts with worry. It's a feeling I am well familiar with. Let me tell you, I can be absolutely restless. I can worry to the point where I feel physically ill. Worry is a familiar feeling. But let's be real. It's also the worst. Worry robs us of joy. It distracts us from the joy of our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. So what this passage really comes down to is a question that we need to ask ourselves. 
where are we looking for peace from the worries of our lives? We look a lot of places to answer that question, don't we? And some of those places, they're great things. Like family, relationships with friends, vacation. Man, if I can just get out of town from this gray weather and put my toes in the sand, then I'll be at peace. Or maybe hobbies. We can take many good things, but destroy ourselves when we look to them for the ultimate peace that they'll never be able to provide. Other people look for peace from their worries in places that are a lot more destructive, like abuse of alcohol or drugs or betting, or sex. We can look for peace in things that absolutely destroy us. So where can we find real peace from our worries? This passage tells us that Jesus offers us a peace that lasts. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. If we will trust Christ with our anxieties, he promises to hand us back peace. I don't know how that works. I don't understand it theologically. It really is beyond our understanding, as God's word says. But I do know that promise is true. I have experienced it to be true if we will come to God in the quiet of our hearts and express to him our thankfulness for how near he is and his care for us, if we'll hand him our worries, he will quiet our hearts. He will meet us with grace beyond what we could ever expect or believe is even possible. Don't you want that? Freedom from our worries is available to each and every one of us. But it does come with one cost. You've got to humble yourself and ask for help. Don't wait any longer to come to your heavenly Father. He's eager to meet you with more grace. He's eager to give you peace in him that lasts forever right where you're at. And so, Father, we thank you for your love for us. We do thank you for your grace. We thank you that you're not only the God who is infinite and all-powerful and all-knowing, but you are the God who is nearby, and you're the God who cares about each and every one of us so very deeply. God, you know the burdens on our hearts that are weighing us down. Some of them we've never even expressed to another person. But in this moment, we come to you in prayer. Father, would you take those burdens? Would you give us rest? Father, we know that you have already provided for us in the way we need it most in sending us Christ, your Son, our Savior. We thank you for your faithfulness. Would you give us faith to trust you each day? In Jesus' name, amen.